All right, guys, so I'm going to call us back together here. We're, um, we're continuing in our summer series, My Favorite Summer. Uh, we're going to be in Psalm 139 tonight, so if you want to go ahead and flip there, you can. If you're looking on your phone, I'm reading from the ESV, if you want to follow along in the, in the same version uh, that I'm reading from. So uh, let me go ahead and pray for us before we get into, into the Word. Father God, I just thank you, Lord, for this church family and um, the opportunity that you've provided us to just share our burdens with one another, uh, Father. And um, thank you, Lord, for the wonderful testimony that, that Donnie shared earlier. And um, God, you've called us to be a light in this dark world. So thank you that Donnie took advantage of that opportunity. We pray for Fred. Uh, God, you are a God who can bring dead things back to life. So we, that is our prayer for, uh, for Fred's marriage, uh, God, that you would do that. Um, God, you are infinitely wise and wonderful, all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present. And we're none of those things, Father. We are none of those things, and yet you choose to know us and love us intimately, and so we praise you for that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So we're going to be in Psalm 139 tonight. I, I absolutely love this psalm um, uh, because it absolutely shows that God is infinite and intimate. He is both of those things. So if you write in the margins of your Bibles, and you know I always try to encourage you to do that, I'd encourage you to write that. This psalm, I, if I could title it, I would, my Bible says, search me, O God, and know my heart. That's the title. My title is The Infinite Intimate God. And we're going we're gonna to see that on display through this psalm that was penned, uh, obviously under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but by David. Um, and so we're going to start with verses 1 through 6, and uh, what we'll see right off the bat is that God knows everything. Like, he knows everything. So I don't want to distract you from what we're reading, but as I'm reading and we're kind of talking, uh, if you're going to be distracted, I want you to be distracted with this thought. What are things I don't know? Like, just what are things that I, that I don't know? I'm going to call on you to, like, to actually answer that question. Like, what are just some things you do not know? Okay, so I'll do that in just a minute, but let's go ahead and we're going to jump right in. Verse 1. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain to it. So these verses speak to just how much God knows everything that there is to know. Not only everything there is to know, but everything that there is to know about you and, and me. So if you were to think like, okay, if we could take everything that's, that there is to know, and we could somehow draw, like you could do this if you want to in the margin of your body. Like just draw a circle, or mentally draw a circle, or use this circle mentally, right? If that's everything that there is to know. And le in fact, let's not even say, let's just say this is the facts. Like these are just the volume of facts that we could actually validate somehow. What portion of that do you say, I know, like I know that much of what there possibly is to know? Is it like half? Would it be most? Would it be a fraction? Like what would that amount be? 
I'm going to show you what I think mine would be. At the most, that's it right there. That's it. And it's not because I'm ignorant, because I think relatively speaking, I'm not. I think I'm, you know, I'm okay. I'm getting by in life. But I got it, like, I just very quickly, like, I was just snapping off things that I have no clue. So I want to hear, like, what are some things that you just don't know? Anyone, just shout it out, as random as it might sound. Someone was back here whispering, what is it? He doesn't know what he doesn't know? Yeah. <laughs> That's the problem, right? We don't know what we don't know. Anyway, just a random thing you do not know. Okay. Uh, my wife said the day I will die. Yes. Thank you. Luke. So you don't know what's in the book of Haggai. All right. Very good. Anyone else? Here's some things I don't know. Who's the mayor of Cashville? Jason, you know. Who is it? Andy Keller. Andy Keller. I work with him. Oh, okay. See? And it, did anyone else know that? Yeah. And look, I only made it that big because I wanted y'all to be able to see how little I'd know. Here's the thing. Cashville's just the next town over. Now, now let's like kind of, okay, now, now let's go outside of, like, widen the circle outside of San Antonio, right? Think of all the towns and cities. You go across Texas, down into Mexico. Like, think of all the people, the leaders, mayors, presidents, dictators, like, around the world. I struggle to name, you know, even in my own state. I, I can't name them. I don't know how many soldiers died in the Civil War. And I don't know the name of the 143rd soldier who died in the Civil War either. I, I don't know. I have no idea how many stars in the universe. I don't know, like, which is bigger. And y'all might know this stuff. Like, you got the universe, the galaxy, the Milky Way. Like, what's the order of progression from small to large? Does anyone know those things? Because I don't know those things. See, my dot's kind of impressive now, right? Because yours might be a little bit smaller than mine. I have no idea how many people were born yesterday in Bulgaria or San Antonio, for that matter. Um, I have no idea what the square root of 43,296 is or if it's even a whole number. I didn't bother to look it up. I have no idea how many milliliters of conditioner are in your bottle at home, and it's you're bottle, and you probably don't know either. How many? 500. If it's full, right? <laughs> but you're taking that company's word for it, Luke. Yeah. <laughs> right? I have no idea what happens when you have eight socks that go in the dryer with the load and only seven come out. Where's that eighth sock? Is there like a parallel universe of socks that like they've made the great escape and they're living happily together in some field running and dancing and bouncing around? Right? Like these are just random things that we do not know. But you might go, but Pastor West, you could actually look up a lot of those things. You could find them. Right? I mean, nowadays they're at your fingertips, some of those things. But you know what? Like I'd even question if we could find those things out. Like, how do we know, like, whoever's telling us knows that? 
you could probably find a number of how many people died in the Civil War, but like, did someone go out and count all the bodies? How do we know they didn't miss any along the way? We're just taking their word for it, right? But here's what's really cool. So God doesn't have to, like God knows all of those things and, and beyond that, and he doesn't have to go look it up. See, even if I learned all of those things, that's the problem. I have to go through the process of learning those things. And if we came back next week and you quizzed me, I wouldn't remember any of those things. My little dot would still be the same size a week from now. Or I guarantee you, whatever, like if I remember two of those things, two other things have escaped my mind. But that's not how God is. He knows already. He is infinitely knowledgeable. The scriptures tell us that he numbered the stars, knows them by name. He even knows how many hairs are on our head. And I'm pretty sure that includes stubble. Like he knows those things. So when you lose one, he still knows how many you have left. He doesn't have to do the math. He knows. He just that's innate in him. He is all-knowing. So if this circle, big circle, just represents the, the facts that for the most part could be validated, what you and I know is actually very little. It, like It's not even a drop in the bucket. It's more like a drop in the ocean of knowledge. But God knows all facts. In fact, if we were to, to like, cover what God knows, it's not only all of the circle, but it actually goes way outside of the border of the circle, because these are just facts that we could dot it. God goes way beyond that. God not only knows all of the facts, he knows actually kind of the hypotheticals, like what could have happened or what would have happened had someone made a different decision, right? In Matthew 11, Jesus is talking to the unrepentant people, and he mentions two cities in the Old Testament that were destroyed by God in his judgment. But you know what he said? If they had seen my miracles, they would have repented. See, if we read the scriptures and we just knew that those two cities were destroyed, we didn't read that quote from Jesus, we wouldn't know. Oh, but you know what? Had they seen the works of Christ, they would have repented. God knows even the things that would have been. So he knows all, the, all of what is, all of what was, all of what will be. He knows the future events. We, we go almost weekly. We do go weekly to Chick-fil-A. You might not know if you're going to Chick-fil-A. You haven't decided. But here's what's, here's what's like mind-blowing about God. You haven't decided if you're going to Chick-fil-A. God already knows. And I sincerely don't know what I'm going to order when I get there. Lord willing, I will get there. But God somehow knows what I'm going to order when I get there. That's how glorious the omniscience of God is. He gives us the will, the free will to make decisions in life. And even though we can decide to go left or right, he already knows in advance which way we're going to go. It's, it, it's kind of mind-blowing. So his knowledge stretches far beyond the borders of that circle. His knowledge is endless, it is infinite. 
But here's the great part. Our God's knowledge is not just infinite, but it is also intimate with his children. His knowledge is intimate with you and intimate with me. I'm going to read some words in those first six verses. I want you to, if you write in your Bibles, I want you to underline them. You guys ready? Verse 1. Searched. Known. Verse 2. Know. Still in verse 2. Discern. Verse 3. Search out. Still in verse 3. Acquainted. Verse 4. Know. Verse 6. Knowledge. You see, those words are all things that God knows, right? They speak to what God knows. But what is that he knows and has searched and discerned? Well, it's all things about us. Verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. God knows everything about you and me. Certainly, if God's knowledge of everything goes beyond that circle, right? He knows everything, past, present, future, all at the same time. Then he certainly knows everything about you and me. That word searched in verse one, it, do, it doesn't mean like sometimes we think, oh, well, I lost my ring. Let me go search for it. That's not it. The literal meaning is pierced through. God has pierced through us. We, we use that expression, I can see right through that guy, right? When we think we know his true character or his true motivation. Oh, I see it. God does. He sees right through us into our innermost being. Verse two, God knows that every move. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. So if we're just sitting back passively, watching TV, reading, kind of doing nothing, God knows. He sees it. If we get up and we're active and we're working and we're exercising, whatever, God sees and knows all of that too. In fact, look at verse three. You search out my path. Similar thought, right? You search out my path and my lying down. You know when I'm on the go. You know when I'm sleeping at night. We can't go anywhere, do anything without God seeing it. Look at the end of verse two. You discern my thoughts. God not only knows and sees Every move we make, he knows every thought that we have. So if my thoughts are, I walked in earlier tonight, there was a, I'm just going to be honest, right? We're family, we can be honest. There was a homeless guy sitting right outside the front door, charging his phone, got all his stuff. So if I have negative thoughts about that guy or thoughts of fear and concern because I've got two of the little kids with me, God knows his thoughts. If I'm angry towards him for being there and making this an uncomfortable, God knows that. If I have compassion for that man, God knows that too. He knows my thoughts. And look at verse 4. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, the Lord, you know it. So if I pay someone a compliment, if I'm going to, before it's on my tongue, before it's even there, before it comes out, he knows that. Or if I'm going to spill some gossip, God knows it. If I use bad language, God knows it before it comes out of my mouth. 
Look at the end of verse 3. You're acquainted with all of my ways. God, that's it, man. Like God knows everything there is to know about it. Not just what we think and say and do, but he knows our he knows our heart. He knows our intent, our motive, our hopes, our dreams, our emotions, like everything that makes us who we are. God is intimately acquainted with all of our ways. The infinite God who knows it all knows it all about you and me. How? And why? Like how and why? Like why would the God who created everything care at all for us? These we you know we're little finite creatures, right? Like why? I'm going to give you a little glimpse. We'll cover this later, but just peek over at verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Now listen to this. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God knows us so intimately he, he knows us because he formed all of our days for us. He knows everything that we will do. He knows all of that before we were even formed in the womb. He had those days planned for us. So we stand before God. Totally exposed. Totally transparent before the living God. Which could cause some different responses, I think, internally for us, right? One would be sort of fear and dread. Oh, man, God knows I think that way. He knows I act that way. He knows I talk that way. That's one possible response. The other one, the other response is one of worship. One of just a sense of awe and wonder that the God of all creation knows and cares about me intimately. And I think the, the balance there is, or the, the, the distinction is, what is our relationship with God? He knows us intimately. How do we know him? What's our relationship with him like? See, if we know of God, but we don't know God, if we know facts about God, but we don't have a relationship with God, then I think that sense of fear and dread may be the dominant emotion. But if we are walking with God, we know God. We hear his voice and respond to it. We know the wonders of his grace and mercy. Then I think that just leads us to, again, like I said, to worship. The God of all creation knows me. He knows everything there is to know about me and loves me anyway. That is an amazing thought. And look at David's response in verse 6. Again, that, that God knows everything. When I wake up, when I lie down, where I go, what I think, the words I'm going to speak before I speak them. This is such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Like, I'm just, David's just blown away. Wow, God, you're just amazing. It is too high. I cannot attain it. Now you see why this is one of my favorite passages, Psalm 139. It is just a wonderful passage about, the, about how our God is both infinite and intimate 
with us. So those are just the first six verses. We got 18 more to go. So we're going to pick up the pace here a little bit. You guys ready? So verses 1 through 6, God's knowledge is infinite and he is intimate with us. Verses 7 through 12, God's presence is also infinite. Verse 7, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall, where shall I flee from your presence? Those are rhetorical questions. You can't. And did you catch that? Where shall I flee? So even if the child of God is disobedient and wants to get away from God, he wants to run and flee, escape from the presence of God, he cannot. The Spirit of God is with me. It reminds me of my college days. Came to faith at the age of 13, stopped walking with God probably around the age of 15. College days, I'm just, you know, walking the earth Dark days, dark days. And the whole time, there was, I could feel the Spirit of God pressing in on me. The whole time, every day, it was the Spirit of God beckoning me to come back, calling me back. And I resisted for as long as I could. But finally, I, you know, I gave in to the Spirit's call and came back to God. Verse 8. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. In other words, there is no place too high or too low where the child of God can go that God will not be there with him. There is no space that God does not occupy where the believer can get to. Verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. To God, there's, there's, is never dark to God. He sees plainly wherever, wherever you are. And oh, the things we do in the dark that we wish were not known by anyone. God knows and we cannot escape his presence. So God's knowledge is infinite. His presence is infinite. In other words, he is omniscient and omnipresent. And yet he is glorious and magnificent and that he is intimate with us like that's just this a mind-blowing thing think about this like he knows every single thing about you and you and you and you and we can go around the room like everything not only everything you've ever done thought said but everything that might have been like the possibilities the hypotheticals and just like we did with the mayors right now let's expand that it's not just this room all of San Antonio, he knows it all, of everyone. Not just around the globe today, but everyone who's ever lived, everyone who ever will live, God knows it all. Like, wow! That, that is just mind-boggling to know how much God knows. And in spite of him knowing everything he knows, he loves you and me 
Anyway. Why? Let's start in verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. God loves us not because of who we are, but because he made us. He created us from the womb. He knitted our, he made our inward parts and knitted us together. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. I love the close of verse 14. My soul knows it very well. I got to be honest, church. I don't always feel like I've been wonderfully made. I don't. Y'all know our struggles. Making sure they're not here. With our four foster kids. Today was another day of anger and frustration and just like, oh, what do you do? Church, I got to tell you, there are times where in their daily, I'm just being real. There are times where I cannot stand the way I act. Go back to verses 1 through 6. The things I do, the thoughts I have, the words I speak. There are times where I do not like who I am in the moment. I might feel a lot of things, but wonderfully made is not one of them. And that's why I think by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, David reinforces that we are wonderful. He says, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. What works? What is he talking about? I'll give you a hint. He's not talking about, like, the creation of the world. He's talking about making you and me in the womb. That's the context. You formed my inward parts. You made me. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. And he continues in verse 15. Sorry, my eyes, you know. (laughs) My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God has a plan for your life. He's made all of the days. Like he's got a, he's got a plan. He knows what you're going to do tomorrow in a year. He knows, like my wife said, she doesn't know when she's going to die. I don't either. For me or, or her or anyone. God knows all of that. They're written in his book before you were in the womb, before he crafted you so wonderfully and beautifully in the womb. He knew those things. I hope that that is an encouragement to you because we prayed for one another earlier. I just shared the struggle. Like we all have stuff going on in life, I think. But no matter how difficult life seems, no matter what challenges you're facing There is a God who is infinitely knowledgeable and who loves you 
intimately, and all of your days were written in his book, which means every single one of them is God-ordained. Now, I would be remiss if I did not take just one moment, given verses 13 through 16, to talk about abortion. You know, this passage speaks clearly to the sanctity of human life. Every life is formed by an infinite, intimate God who takes great care and great detail in forming every life while it is in the womb. He has a plan and purpose for every life. A plan for us that goes back to before creation. And to put it plainly, abortion defies God's plan. And it ends a life that God has created. I don't know, I, I could have looked this, we'll add it to the things I do not know. Like the percent of Christians who support abortion. I'm sure in America it's a pretty big number. But if as a Christian you support abortion, then what you're saying is, what you're doing, you're denying the word of God and the truth that we just read. God is the creator of life. He starts in the womb with us. And it is his spirit that brings us life. And I know that, you know, we can talk about all the human reasoning, like why a woman should get an abortion, like what justifies it. But I would just encourage you with this. Anytime you want to debate, you want to take the side of, of human logic over the word of God, I would encourage you to go back to this. That's how much we know. If that. <clears throat> I'm going to paint a picture for you. And I'm going to ask you if abortion is warranted. We good? Suppose you have a young interracial couple in their early 20s. They've got four kids already. They're staying in a tiny little place that's probably like from here to that wall and the same distance across if even that wide. It's got one bed, one bed for six people. There's no kitchen. They got a microwave and a mini fridge. The parents are ill-equipped to provide for the kids. They cannot provide financially, emotionally, Spiritually, like there's no way this couple can provide for these four kids. So if you just freeze a moment in time, what you're going to see is the dad changing the baby's diaper while the baby is holding a bag of drugs. Two loaded guns on the dresser. Like the, and, and the parents are engaged in or battling uh, illegal drugs. Like they're, they're in that lifestyle. In fact, a 
person who's maybe just an, a bystander looks and actually says about the two older kids, they have no hope. Like in talking to them, they have no hope for life. They're at, at those young ages. Oldest one is just six. Already lost all hope. And here's the thing. And then the dad's going to be thrown in jail. So now you got now you got a single mom raising four young kids. Can't provide for them. Is it okay for her to decide to abort any of those four? In your mind, is that okay? If for one second you waver and think, well, you know what? I mean, really, she can't provide. Which one would you pick? Because here's the thing, like to to say that, well, you know, uh, the woman shouldn't carry the baby through to delivery because... She can't provide. Like, okay, how much did Jesus have when he was on earth? I don't think he was like living the middle class lifestyle. And think about, think about Mary's situation. A teenager engaged to another guy. She's pregnant. It's not his baby. He finds out, becomes angry, wants nothing to do with her. Would you abort the Savior of the world because of the, the temporary situation that a teenage mom is facing? And I, I've emailed y'all, like I emailed y'all eight, nine days ago. The five-year-old in the back seat, back right. They all love coming to church, but none more, none more than him. I, I am not exaggerating. It is multiple times a day. Mr. West, are we going to church today? Mr. West, when do we go back to church? Church, last Saturday night, we were here. We went to Chick-fil-A. We, we got home. We walked around. He's kicking his shoes off. You know what he says? Mr. West, when do we go back to church? We were just there. You know, to, to support abortion, it is to believe something that is contrary to the word. It denies who God is as the creator of life. And it also denies his amazing redemptive powers and the power of him to redeem through his church, which we are experiencing, they're experiencing today here at Alamo Stone. So if, if you, I'll move on from that topic, except to say this. If you have had an abortion or you have supported an abortion in the past, I want to say this. Our God is also a God of infinite grace and forgiveness. And I hope you have experienced that. So rather than doubt or question the, the word of God, 
we should instead have the the agent the response of david and that's why I, another reason why i love this psalm like just to see how he responds to the wonders of god look at verse 17 how precious to me are your thoughts O god how vast is the sum of them if, if i would count them they are more than the sand i awake and i'm still with you like you were you were amazing your word is amazing your thoughts are dear and precious and i love them god's thoughts cannot be precious to us and his word like be set aside like they're the same right and so if there's anything whether it's abortion or just anything that you disagree with god on i i really would just encourage you to surrender submit to god and ask that your prayer be this god help me to realize how precious your thoughts should be to me oh god because you know what i awake and i'm still with you you are infinitely wise infinitely wonderful you are perfect you are beyond description I'm like this. I'm this. Not even that. And yet you are intimate with me. That it amazes David. And my prayer for us is that it would amaze us that God is infinite in every way and also intimate with you and me. Now, the psalm takes a bit of a turn starting in verse 19. So I'm issuing a little warning here. We go from just this glorious psalm of how wonderful God is in his infinite wisdom, his intimate care for his children. And then all of a sudden, in verse 19, David starts going, you know what, God, sick that guy. Like, that dude is my enemy. Go get him. Okay, so before we read them, just a reminder, okay, that the New Testament teaches us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. And the book of Hebrews says things of old are a shadow of things to come. So as we read the Old Testament and look at sort of the enemies of God's people, we, we should look forward and be reminded that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it is against the, the forces of this, spiritual forces of this dark world. So as we read about the enemy, I want you to be thinking about the enemy, Satan himself, who's seeking to destroy you and his ploys of temptation, and our own sin, our own struggles. And ask yourself, like, does this describe my attitude towards my own sin? The things that tempt me. Verse 19. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. So when we think of the things that we struggle with, the things that tempt us, the sin that is most prevalent in each one of our lives, is that our attitude? Like, do we hate? Do we hate? the things that tempt us? Do we loathe our own sin? If we're being honest, 
Those are really strong words. But here's the thing. The more we embrace the infinite wonder of God and that he knows everything about you and loves you and is intimate with you, the more we can answer that question with a yes. I hate those things. Alamo Stone is, I call the worship team back up to close us out. My, my prayer is that we would have a new appreciation just for the infinite nature of God. Of his intimate knowledge of you and me. And that just as we see it in David throughout this psalm, that it would lead us into a place of sincere worship for the living God. So I'm going to pray, and then we will close out with worship. Father God, we are humbled by your word, Lord, to think that you know everything there is to know about us. What we think, the words we speak before we speak them, the things that we do. Lord, the things that nobody here on earth knows about us, you are fully aware. And yet, you have an intimate love for each one of us. God, I pray that we would embrace the truth that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Then our times of struggle, when we go to the dark places, as David says, or that you are there with us. Lord, all of our days are written in your book. They were written before we were ever born. May we take comfort in that. There is nothing that we are going through that surprises you. So God, as we might be struggling through certain things in life, God, I, I pray that our prayer would not be for you to take those things away, Lord, but that you, the infinite, intimate God, would be glorified through them. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.